Welcome back everybody. Today I'm going to be talking about why the stock market is literally only five stocks and what that means for how we think about the stock market moving forward. It's actually really important that the stock market has become very, very concentrated because it means that when big swings happen, big swings are going to happen even bigger because it's literally like five stocks propping up the whole thing. So I'm going to talk about why this has happened, what it means, what the implications are, and how it could not happen. So in the stock market, there's something called FangM, which is Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google, and Microsoft. I honestly think that you should replace Netflix with Tesla at this point, but these are sort of like the big tech superstars, and they have driven a lot of the performance of the S&P 500 over the past several months, over the past several years, really, since 2013. These few stocks have really been big and, and influential. The S&P 500 is a basket of like 500 of the biggest stocks, and it is an indicator of what people look at, and they say, oh, that's the stock market market right there. The S&P 500 is market weighted, which means that companies with the biggest market cap are going to have the biggest weight on the performance of the S&P 500. So Apple has the biggest market cap followed by Microsoft. And so those two stocks, of course, are going to drive a lot of the performance of the S&P that we see. And so that's why it's important to keep track of is because a lot of people either match their performance to it, the broader stock market, but really that broader stock market is actually six stocks. The S&P 500 has gotten increasingly concentrated. You can see in this chart from JP Morgan that the, that the top 10 stocks in the S&P 500 are 30% of the weight of the S&P 500, meaning that the other 490 stocks approximately are the other 70%. So 30% concentration, top 10 stocks, and it gets even worse as you go up to like top five stocks. You can see that Apple's number one, Microsoft is number two, Amazon is number three, Tesla is number four, Meta, and or Facebook is number five, and Google is number seven, NVIDIA is number eight, Berkshire is number nine, and United Health Group is number 10. But really, it's Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Tesla, and Google that are most of the weight. So Apple and Microsoft alone are 12% of the S&P 500. You might say, well, like, why did this happen? How did this begin to happen? Tech is sort of a cornerstone of hope for a lot of the market, and so it's able to have these pretty wild valuations because it's like, you know, software will eat the world. Tech companies are going to be the future. And so they command a pretty high valuation because they're supposedly supposed to have pretty high growth. And so because of these high valuations, they're able to command a certain amount of dollar flow. People are interested in investing in them. Um, and it's sort of a reinforcing loop where, you know, people love tech. Tech is everything. And so these companies benefit from that tech is everything narrative. And you see this with Tesla specifically where, you know, Tesla has cars, right? But it's also Elon Musk. It's also Elon Musk driving the narrative. And like we've talked about a lot recently, it's, it always does boil down to narrative. So tech companies are highly favored because there's a very strong narrative behind them because it's sort of like the possibilities are endless. There's also an interesting thing going on within tech in terms of acquisitions. So tech companies are likely to acquire as they grow. It makes a lot of sense to just grow by acquiring rather than spending a ton on R&D. I'm not saying that they don't spend a lot on R&D, but you do see increased consolidation in industries where you'll, you know, if you're a startup, it's like, well, I can either IPO or I can get bought out by Facebook. And sometimes it's much more appealing to just go get bought out by Facebook. And so you just see these conglomerates get bigger and bigger and bigger because they're acquiring more and more little companies. In 2013, the 
this is sort of when it all began. So if you look at this chart here, the S&P 500 market cap since 2013, you can see that it traded relatively in line with Fangham because Fangham wasn't really a thing yet. As the years have passed into 2021, you can see that Fangham has really just gotten away from the rest of the S&P 500. They're driving a lot of the S&P 500 growth and S&P 500X Fangham is actually underperforming the total S&P obviously because Fangham is doing most of the heavy lifting. And back in 2013, Fangham was only 7% of the S&P 500 uh, back in 2013, but now, you know, December 2021, it is 22% of the S&P 500. These six stocks are 22% of the S&P 500. The top 10, like I said, are 30%. So Fangham's are a huge portion, almost a quarter of the S&P 500, but they only represent about 2% of total revenue. They have a lot of growth prospects, they have very high valuations, they have very high market caps, but maybe their revenue doesn't quite match what you would expect. It's really just based on potential and sort of what the market thinks could be accomplished versus maybe what is being accomplished, which makes sense because the market is ultimately forward-looking and you can see this in the multiples as well. So here's a chart of price-to-sales multiples. Facebook has actually had a pretty big price-to-sales multiple contraction over the past couple of years, but the rest of the Fangams, including Microsoft, have enjoyed a pretty large multiple expansion in their price-to-sales ratio. And so price-to-sales ratio is just a valuation metric. The price-to-sales ratio shows how much the market values every dollar of the company's sales. So for a company like Microsoft, they're willing to pay $11.5 per dollar of sales for a company like Facebook, they're, or Meta, sorry, they're willing to pay $6 for every dollar of sales, so they're willing to pay a whole lot more for Microsoft. Price of sales doesn't take into account debt, like none of the valuation metrics are perfect, but it just gives you a pretty good glimpse into the multiple expansion part where it's like, okay, people are valuing these dollars of sales more and more um, and willing to pay more and more for this. And the reason that that is not good over a longer term horizon is because of inflation. So inflation and higher interest rates normally bite into the growth stocks saga. This is another chart from IsabelNet and you can see that it's not perfect, but you can see the CAPE valuation and that is another valuation metric and that's plotted against the CPI annual percentage change. And you can see that when the CPI increases quite a bit, valuations do tend to compress on either side of that. So there is kind of that perfect like middle part of, of inflation slash CPI and if it gets pretty high and right now we're probably going to be looking at like six percent annual inflation-ish that will be interesting right and so that could potentially pose a little bit of pressure on those valuations the reason that that poses pressure on valuations is because the fed is going to have to come in and raise rates if inflation gets to a certain number and so that's what we saw with the most recent fed meeting as the fed was like hey we see inflation we notice it we're going to step in and do our thing to make inflation go away which includes speeding up their tapering process so providing less support to treasuries and mortgage-backed securities as well as potentially raising rates and so if they raise rates, that's going to put the economy and the stock market into a more contractionary environment that's harder to get money, and that also bites into valuations. Because when the Fed raises interest rates, that raises short-term borrowing costs, their debt expenses become a little bit more expensive, and the estimated amount of future cash flows for the company will drop because of that. That puts pressure on that end valuation metric, meaning that these companies can't really be valued at the same way that they are right now. It's really boiling down to a lowered expectation in growth, a lowered expectation in future cash flow growth, 
of course, less growth in price appreciation because you're just not going to see a huge run-up. Things are going to be more contractionary, and that's kind of the risk that these stocks face because they're all growth stocks, they're all highly valued, that if interest rates go up, that could bite into valuations and that could prevent them from achieving whatever goals investors see for them right now in this current more expansionary monetary policy environment, and that could hurt their valuations. And the reason that that matters is because uh, they're the stock market, right? And so if you start to see Microsoft tumble, if you start to see Apple tumble, Apple fell 4% the other day and the S&P 500 was super shaky. The market has been sort of going through it recently. 35% of the S&P 500's year-to-date return has come from five stocks, including Apple. So when Apple falls, when Microsoft falters, all of that happening, that is going to put pressure on the S&P 500. And even though that same, you know, a couple days ago when the S&P underperformed, eight of the 11 sectors of the S&P were up, but because tech was down, the entire thing was in the red. The stock market is very reliant on the outperformance of these tech companies. 35% of their year-to-date returns has come from these five stocks. They're the entire foundation propping everything up. They need to continue to grow. And there's another chart here. It looks at, so it's a little bit confusing, but basically it shows the the share of the market cap that needs to grow fast in order to earn a normal return that is most of the market right now. So there is a lot of reliance on things continuing to grow, and we could be entering in, if the Fed chooses to pursue contractionary monetary policy, a world where growth is just not as easy. It's not as accessible as it, as it was maybe over the past few years. So tech is the entire stock market to a certain extent. What happens if tech can't grow at the same rate? That's really the big problem is there's huge concentration risk and will they continue to grow and and sort of to caveat that point uh, will they continue to grow well vanguard they're here they buy up everything all the time so you would assume that vanguard is going to keep on passively buying up everything and that could keep bidding the market up more and more over time and i wrote about that a while ago my volmageddon piece where it's just like you know passive investing puts a floor on the market and prevents things from going down and so that could be the situation too where as long as vanguard comes in with their massive bags, things will be okay. The worry there would be if Vanguard doesn't have massive bags anymore, if people start to redeem, if people start to leave the market, that is where we could see this this foundation begin to shake. This is from Tom. A lot of people are not positioned to even benefit from if the stock market does go down. So short interest in Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Google, etc. is pretty low. So a lot of people have it in their heads like, oh, stock market will always go up. And, and that is not always the case, right? Stock market usually go up. And I think that we, we just see this across the board where there's an expectation of always go up and perhaps that expectation is correct. Most stocks are not doing that well. That's really the main point is that there's concentration risk and the worries of concentration risk. There's all these different risks that come from having concentration risk. If you wanted to prevent your apples from spoiling, you wouldn't put all your apples in one basket. You would sort of spread them out across a bunch of different baskets so that way if one apple spoils, all the apples don't spoil because they have distance from each other. And so that's a big issue with the S&P 500 is people go and purchase the SPY for diversification risk, but at the end of the day, they're actually purchasing something that has huge concentration risk. That's a little bit problematic. And I think that's going to be one of the themes that we see over 2022 to <laughs> talk about that. It's coming up is you will see sort of this valuation problem begin to come up so 
crypto is commanding some mega valuations. And then also there was a chart that was tweeted out, lots of charts this time. There was a chart that was tweeted out showing that startups are creating more value more quickly in terms of aggregate market cap, which is the wrong way to interpret market cap because market cap does not equal value. If you look at this, it's just people bringing forward valuations. It's really just people valuing companies more. So you just see valuations like seed rounds are going at crazy numbers right now. So companies who are just pre-product, pre-revenue, pre-launch, they're, they're commanding insane valuations. And the worry is that we enter into contractionary monetary policy environment and all of this overvalued growth becomes under the microscope. Can you keep this up in a higher interest rate environment? Jerome Powell did call out the stock market and said he learned from the stock market when they tried to raise rates a couple of years ago. The market didn't like that. The Fed is responsive, I think, to the movement of the stock market. They have to be. And so we could see them not do anything with rates. And this could kind of keep this like big frothy bubble going. You're going to start seeing pressure from consumer credit. You're going to start seeing, you know, home prices are through the roof, especially in startup land. You know, companies are tacking valuations on companies where it's like you're not even going to earn anything back when this thing finally IPOs or gets acquired. Like it, it's just it's not helpful to sort of zoom out and summarize. It's really concentration risk that is worrying. So concentration risk in the S&P 5 and then the valuations. So can they keep up this valuations? Can they keep up what is expected from these growth metrics that have been assigned to them? And then number three, if they aren't able to, who is impacted and how does that impact the rest of the broad stock market, considering the stock market is essentially, you know, these five stocks at that point. And so those are just some things to keep in mind as we think about the year ahead. Some things I like to always think about is, of course, crypto, like for whatever is going on, like there is a lot of stuff going on. Web3, that metaverse narrative. I also really like waste management as just an idea of, you know, after the post-consumerism, who is going to clean up the mess? I've really been paying attention to buy now, pay later companies because I think this consumer credit cycle that we're in is very interesting where it's like here you know buy a pizza over four payments which doesn't really make sense so the creditization of everything there's a lot more that i am paying attention to but you know the s p 500 is only five stocks that was the s p 500 those are valuations and that's concentration risk i hope that you are doing well and i will talk to you soon